Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and salutations to David who couldn't make it today. He is also going to be really upset because he is going to miss a lot of these cheat codes. We've got some ringers on today, folks. Uh, We have people that are going to talk about college secrets of highly successful people and I believe over this hour you're going to believe the these uh, secrets can also or cheat codes can also be used in life they have a lot of examples that we can use Um, shout out to my little who is a senior so he definitely should be listening to this I'm sure his mother's going to make him listen to this and everyone else that is planning to go to college and grad school and be overall successful in your whole life and we have uh, both Lindy and Tom Snyder on. They have over 20 years' experience collected, collectively in helping people matriculate through college, the, the best scenario of college, not just can I get in, but how can you leverage all of your experiences and expertise to make it the best time ever? People say that college is the best time ever. Is it? Maybe we'll learn more from Tom and Lindy Snyder. Without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Tom and Lindy Snyder to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. I love yes. what you said, Hamza, about uh, being able to leverage your college, and that is definitely what we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. And just to get the first thing out of the, out of the gate, I want to get your opinion, because uh, we're talking about cheat codes and college secrets. But just recently in the news, uh, another ring of families in Michigan were highlighted because they found ways to get their kids scholarships that they they weren't qualified for. Uh, the kids were, what do you call them? They were uh, di- not disenfranchised from their family, but they were marked as independent. And another family had taken reign over them just so they can get through a loophole to get into college. And I'm sure we're not going to talk about those type of loopholes. No. Uh, (laughs) Are you familiar with that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, And and unfortunately, uh, parents waste a huge amount of creative energy trying to find ways to cheat the system instead of teaching their children how to function within the system and be successful through it and beyond. So you're saying for college secrets of highly successful people, the shortcut is not the way to do it. That is correct. <laughs> there, and, and there may be people going to jail in, uh, in California eventually for spending literally hundreds of thousands of dollars bribing their kids into the elite school that they thought was the most important thing for them. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, really unfortunate, but I think it shines the light more so on you guys. It's like, well, here's the alternative, and this is the right way to do it, and you'll have long-term benefits. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and while we're talking about the, the scandal type thing, um, that really leads us into one of the, uh, what we call the six lies about college that everyone believes. And that first lie is that where you go to school makes all the difference in how successful you'll be after college. Mm-hmm. And it's Absolutely. just not true. <laughs> it 
Yes, I, I do want to. I'm trying to think of how what's the best way to do it because you do talk about the six lies, and I'm thinking. I mean, with the, with the both of you, we can kind of go a synopsis over the six lies and then kind of peel back the potato for each one. What do you think? Sure, that sounds great. Okay, so with the six lies, the first one being that uh, it's it depends on where you go to school. You said that's a lie, and I know that there was a Wall Street Journal article. Many, not many moons ago, but let's say in the 80s, and they had two brothers, and they had both gone to Harvard. Sorry, Yale folks, I was going to say Yale, but it was Harvard. And they, you know, they had the same upbringing, and 20 years later, one was really successful, and the other one you know, was living in the basement. And so they, the article was more so highlighting it's what you do uh, through college and after college that makes you successful, not necessarily the name on the on the on the degree. That is is so um, so right on. The who we love to talk about is Steven Spielberg. He is someone obviously that we all know, great director, movie director, but he wanted to get into a top film school and uh, couldn't get in. In fact, he was rejected twice. So he went to a quote-unquote lesser school, a state school. But what opened the doors to his career is that he utilized what they offered, and that was an internship at Universal Studios. So he took that internship. They did not have him doing what he wanted to do, but he did it to the very best of his ability. He got the attention, and he was actually offered a full-time job. He didn't finish his degree at that time. He came back 35 years later to the same school just out of gratitude and got his de- finished his degree. But he did not get in that elite school. And I think this, this article about the two brothers, it highlights the exact same thing, that it is not where you go, it's what you do with what you have, what you what you have offered to you, those opportunities. I like that, and I like the fact that you highlighted Steven Spielberg's story because traditionally we think linearly, and we think, okay, as soon as I graduate from high school, I go to college, and you know this whole life plan, yet he had gone back after 35 years. So I'm thinking when people are, are listening to this podcast, you don't necessarily have to be graduated from high school. There's still opportunities where you can actually go back to college and maybe uh, do what you always wanted or enhance what you're currently doing. And that's, that's exactly right. Um, in, when we are uh, mentoring and coaching college students through college, uh, one of the key things that we talk about is intentionality while they're in school and to get what they need from their college experience. Now, it's valuable to get a degree uh, people that get college degrees on average uh, earn 83% more over their lifetimes than people that don't get degrees. But then there's always the exceptions to the rule where, uh, for example, I mean, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is probably the most famous uh, college dropout that anyone knows. Um, and, but he may not have ever come up with the idea to create Facebook as it is today if he hadn't gone to college and met a couple of guys and, and co- collaborated on a couple of things and, and, and initially his uh, dating app concept, which he had, which was just going to be limited to the college, he then expanded on that to create what ultimately became Facebook. So 
his experience in college, while he didn't get the degree, was still extremely valuable to him because it's it's like a mastermind where you are meeting hundreds or thousands of people with creative ideas, and you never know what one person or two people uh, that you encounter in college uh, is going to do for bringing you into a totally different future than you may have never envisioned. I, I wholeheartedly agree, and I'm actually going to put a pen in, in your comment about you never know what's going to happen with the people that you're with because you guys have some wonderful stories about the two words that make you famous, but I want to put a pen in that until later. So you were talking about the six lies, the first one being that where it doesn't really ultimately matter where you go. It depends on what you do with where you matriculate. What's, what's the second lie about college? Well, the second lie is um, I, going to college is a four-year commitment. And the truth is 60% of our college students are taking six years to graduate. Now, that six years, um, when you look at it monetarily, you've got thousands of dollars in tuition for each extra year you go to school. And then you also have those one or two years that you are not earning money. So it pretty much doubles whatever it is that, uh, that it's costing you. And to just put those into actual numbers, um, if the average cost for two years of tuition at a state school is $36,000. And if you're going to a private school, it uh, averages about $90,000 for those two years. Then you add in the two years of lost income, and you're looking at anywhere between 140 to $190,000 of expense or lost income simply because you took six years to complete your college education instead of four. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about expense versus lost income, it makes me think of a, a popular podcast that Gary Vee had done, and he had mentioned that if you had just finished high school and you wanted to go to the you wanted to start a business and you go to the bank to get a loan and they're like well you know what have you done and 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 what kind of income have you gathered and so on revenue numbers and and you don't have any of that and they're on the other side if we're using it from a business perspective you have high school kids that are getting these massive loans that contributing to this deficit that we have for student loans. And it's like, well, how are you ever going to pay those back? And should they have access? And what is the threshold that they should uh, put themselves into to get that college education? Well, and the, the, the general rule of thumb that uh, financial advisors use to tell you how much student loan debt you should get is what you could expect to earn in a full first year after graduation with that degree. It's not obviously meaning that you're going to pay all of that money back that you earned in the first year to pay off all your student loans, but that's a general rule of thumb that they use to know whether you're taking on too much debt uh, or if you still have a little bit of extra margin to work with. But the biggest impact there is that everyone should be able to complete a degree in three and a half to four years. And here's one of the real inside secrets of that process. When you talk to a college advisor, they go, well, you know, 12 credits per semester is considered full time. So if you decide you're only going to take 12 credits per semester, you are already 
guaranteeing that it will take you five years to graduate because you need mm -hmm. 120 credits, and you're not going to mm -hmm. get that taking 12 credit hours a semester. Well, and let me interject here too. The reason they tell you 12 credits is all you need, that's all you need to, to qualify for your scholarships and grants. So they're correct in that. But the problem is it's not enough to graduate in four years. And if you decide to change majors, you may lose some credits that no longer apply to the new major. So that's going to set you back as well. And these are things that the kids are not being told. Mm. I wanted to ask you about when you said four-year commitment, and let's just stay with the word commitment. Uh, do you think that parents should, you know, have the children put some skin in their in the game? Like, yeah, I know some parents have the nice the tags on their car that says, uh, my kid wants to go here, but my money's going here, and have some type of stipulation that, well, I'm only going to give you enough money for four years, and if anything above that, then you're on the hook for that. Love it. Absolutely, they should have skin in the game. They should have more than that in the game um, because too many kids think, oh, you know, whether I get a degree or not, whatever, my folks are paying for it. You want them taking this seriously because college is really a four-year job interview, and so many kids don't realize that. There are people, uh, the, your professors, your peers, um, the administration, they're all watching you. It's a very small microcosm of people. And you are known uh, throughout that campus much more than, than a student realizes. Where mm -hmm. I, when, when I was working for various different colleges as a, a college advisor, um, we knew the names as well as if it was tattooed on their forehead, whether they were a difficult person someone that demanded everything or someone that was would be professional in their behavior and you know the difference and everybody on campus gradually does um, so if the we tell our students to think of college as a four-year interview you are practicing professional professionalism during those four years and you will be noticed you will stand out above the crowd and also, one of the one of the people we actually feature in our book, College Secrets of Highly Successful People: Keys to Launching a Great Life, is the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And his father was a very uh, high-profile surgeon. He had plenty of money to send his son through college, but he told his son, "You know, um, I'm not going to pay for your college because I want you to understand what it takes to." raise that kind of money, and I want you, just as you said, have skin in the game. So mm -hmm. he was working and, and working part-time jobs and paying his own way through school, and he looked out the window one day, and here was a, a pickup truck uh, that was loaded with all kinds of junk. And he went, if this guy can make money with that, maybe that's a good business for me to try. So he bought himself a truck and put a little sign out and started earning a living hauling away people's junk that they didn't need. And he eventually turned that into a half a billion dollar a year business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
And, it wasn't and I love exactly the, what his father envisioned for him, however. His father sure. envisioned and his son hauls junk. <laughs> <laughs> but I venture to say his son made more money than his surgeon father. <laughs> yes, he's like, Dad, but the check clears. Exactly. <laughs> I want to stay there for one second because we're talking about commitment. And so one really good blog post that I I want you guys to highlight that I really enjoyed was um, some students have their heart set uh, on going to this one school, you know, fill in the blank, this is my magical school. And they put all their eggs in that one basket, and with the probability, (laughs) they may not end up going there. And I think you guys have an excellent approach as to, you know, maybe your dream school, but also having uh, some backup plans. Well, we were, we were actually just talking to a parent this morning uh, who was really traumatized that her straight-A student son had just really bombed the last semester of his junior year. And he's going into his senior year, and they're applying for scholarships and applications. He wants to get into a top-tier school. And she was very, very concerned that this one semester was going to ruin his possible chances of ever getting there. And, you know, there's two things involved with this. One is that is a possibility, but most colleges look far beyond just what your GPA is. That's just one element of the things that they're looking at. Uh, The advantages that her son has is that he's been involved in all kinds of mentorships and other activities in the community. He's been very proactive about being engaged in a lot of other things besides we're focusing on his grades. And straight A's for two and a half years and then a C average for one semester, that's not necessarily a deal killer. But even people with straight A's are not necessarily guaranteed to get into the college that he wants to get into. So again, we tell people, you know, you can, you can try to get into that elite school, but that really isn't the most important factor geared toward your success. It, we'll go back to Steven Spielberg. If he had gotten into, uh, you know, USC Film School, fantastic, wonderful. He'd had a great opportunity. But did it keep him from ultimately accomplishing his goal and, and drive? And the answer to that is no. You have to be focused on what you're going to be doing in college regardless of where you go if you're going to be successful. Thank you for that, and and I really want to. Uh, this is a selfish question. So, uh, I when you were talking about uh, right, the cream rises to the top, and and people know who you are based off of you know how successfully you've matriculated through school, and I I wanted to know is there a a special grade? I mean, we see on the news where this person's a freshman in high school or sophomore and they found ways to have their whole college and graduate degrees paid for. Uh, they, they filled out the applications and scholarships, and they're all set. And then there are some that wait until senior year. Is there a, a, an ideal time that you should start looking for scholarships and grants? Um, it doesn't hurt to do some investigating 
as a freshman or sophomore, but you're really not going to, you know, the people that you see on the news, the whiz kid that gets invited to 12 Ivy League schools, if there even are that many, uh, (laughs) uh, because he's a freshman and he's this whiz kid, um, guess what? Your child is not going to be that. You know, the chances of that are extremely rare. Uh, oh, I saw Bigfoot. Okay, good. You're the one person in the world that's ever seen one. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So the reality is there's a, there's a practical way of approaching getting into college. And, and again, I, I emphasize this because this is such a stumbling block for so many parents and so many kids. Where you go to college is not as important as what you do there. And if we could just convince more people of that, these elite schools that are charging $50,000, $75,000 a year so that you can go and, and uh, learn from whoever, a grad student, because the actual professor doesn't ever teach the class, they're busy writing books mm-hmm. and giving speeches, um, mm-hmm. you, you don't have to do that. It, it is not worth your going $250,000 in debt just to say you graduated from Harvard. It doesn't matter. And that article you referred to earlier is a perfect example of that. Well, and in, in, in talking about money, I want to add something else. One of our students, Kevin Gray, he um, had gone to an expensive school, his top choice. He wanted to pursue acting. And uh, when he got there, he began to see the, the loan debt pile up and said, you know what? When he learned that your job most of the time as an actor is auditioning and once in a while you land the project and get paid, he went, oh my gosh, I won't be able to be an actor because I'm going to have too much loan debt. So he ended up leaving that very expensive elite school and finding a a community college that had a very strong film department, film program. And that ended up being a golden change for him because he went from getting his associate's degree to acting in movies and uh, in a TV series, commercials, etc. And he's now um, and the executive film production uh, director at the Phoenix Children's Hospital. He's loving being behind the camera right now. While his family, he, while he's starting to have a family, um, but he cut his debt load way down based on what he planned to do with his career, and I think that's really important for kids. Scholarships are never guaranteed. You can do whatever, um, whatever you can to get those scholarships, and there are a lot of them out there. A lot of them. Um, no one applies for, so you've mm-hmm. had a, got a good shot at it. But it's not the $20,000 scholarship. It's going to be the $1,000 or $5,000. But you can apply to those and pursue them, absolutely. Um, but have a, another plan as well that, you know, maybe I need to choose a less expensive school. My uh, personal experience is uh, in, in corporate uh, we're here in, in Atlanta, so you know that we have some we consider some pretty good schools here. 
But when we were, when I found myself traveling and I worked with an architecture company, so we went to different universities. We did research labs, or we still, they still do. I, don't, I just don't do it anymore. Another life. But what we found, I'll use Texas, <laughs> Texas as a perfect example. When we went to a Texas meeting, uh, and this is for all, everybody listening from Texas, yes, UT, not AMU. So I had to make the distinction. <laughs> I learned that living, being out there so much. But it seemed like ceremoniously people would, in slow motion, put their hand up and then put their hand, right hand down on the table. And those that didn't have a UT ring on was not getting any business. So it was like, hey, we want homegrown. And when the economy was down in the early 2000s, a lot of states wanted to keep that money in the state. And so they were like, we have good schools here. You guys are carpetbaggers. Have a nice day. <laughs> wow, yeah. And, and that may be a little bit more uh, unique to Texas than some of the rest of the country, but uh, the point is well taken. Yeah, well, I, I like the Kevin story, and I guess my question would be, he figured that out, but would that be or could that be a joint kind of check-in? Like you said, it's a four-year interview so if you're looking at it as a business okay this is year one how are your grades but what is your debt to income ratio you know are you looking is it good for the parents to follow through with the students their four years to determine hey stay at the school everything's going great or like Kevin you know you might want to change your 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 goals well one of the things that we recommend everyone do and this is something that every college student should do, virtually none of them do, uh, is to request a degree audit every year. And what that is is the school will say, okay, you have earned this many credits, you have taken this many courses toward your undergrad requirements, these are the courses you still need to take for the degree path that you've decided to pursue so that you know exactly how many credits you're still going to need, how many you've already taken and completed, and it also makes sure that you're taking courses in the proper sequence because in many cases colleges will say, well, the, the prerequisite for this course is only offered in the fall. And mm -hmm. then you're in the spring and you're ready to take that prerequisite course and they go, oops, sorry, we don't offer it in the spring, you'll have to wait till next fall. And that is one of those very simple mechanisms that can force you into spending longer in college and paying extra money for that four and a half years or five years of college instead of four. Absolutely. That, that's a really good point. And I, I guess my second part of that question would be, uh, I, I do remember in some instances you had students that were going to junior, or junior college, community college, because there weren't or they were more lenient in the uh, prerequisites. They had more general classes freshman year and sophomore year. And it was just easier and less expensive to go there and then transfer over to the to, to the four-year institution. Uh, mm -hmm. Would that degree audit factor in as well there? The main thing with that is if you're going to a junior college, I would highly recommend you get that associate's degree and not just take a few classes and then transfer. Some colleges will accept all the courses, some won't. But if you bring in an associate's degree, it's coming with 60 credits, bam. Um, now, if you're in a four-year school, and I did this when I was in college, there was a course I really wanted to take.
that my school didn't offer. And so I talked to them and I said, can I substitute this course from a community college from my hometown, which was not the same state as the college I was going to. But I said, I'm going to be home for the summer. I want to take this course there and see if I can make that apply to this other program that I can't get when I want it this fall. And it was approved. But you have to go through the steps. You have to get that approved in advance um, Mm -hmm. if you're going to do some piecemeal courses like that to make sure those credits are accepted. And sometimes it's as simple as asking. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, if you don't ask, you won't get it. Um, they, we, we've profiled one person in her book that um, they created an entire graduate degree program for her, actually undergrad program for her, simply because the school didn't have the that particular degree track, but she had been working with uh, outside the campus in some other uh, capacities, and they went, well, you know what, you have all this work experience it doesn't make any sense for us not to let you complete a degree in that. So they actually created an entire degree program based on her request. That's awesome. Oh, that's a great and story. And I'd like to add to that, too. Um, one thing that we were talking about that Tom mentioned was that uh, need to ask for help. And that is a critical component that our college kids are missing. In one of your earlier podcasts we were listening to, you talked with Paul Burnaby, I think is, is how you pronounce yes. it, Burnaby? Uh-huh. And, Burnaby. Uh, yeah, Burnaby. And he was talking about how many students struggle with um, communication, um, mm-hmm. face-to-face communication. And we're seeing the same thing in the colleges. And until um, a student, one of the things we work with students on is in our program is how to talk to their professors or a business person and do informational interviews with them. This is where they can find mentors. You know, if you don't leap those tall buildings to talk to people who are further along than you are or higher up than you are, you're going to be stuck at a certain level. You've got to be able to ask for help and um, to be able to receive guidance or mentoring. So I, I thought that was um, that was very interesting in your other podcast. Sure, and thanks for that, Lindy. And I do want to have a brief soapbox moment uh, based off of what you just said, because you know there's there's documentation now about big Silicon Valley firms or leadership, they are sending their kids to school where there's no technology. And so they're kind of going back to having this face-to-face communication that seems so foreign and that we've accepted as a whole, especially from, you know, teenagers. And from a health standpoint, their their neck ages because <laughs> they're not keeping their neck straight because it's always bent over. <laughs> so exactly. shout out to all the chiropractors. I've listened to you, chiropractors. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is this is one of the the key components that uh, even Fortune 500 companies are complaining about, is that they cannot find uh, enough college graduates and employees 
that have interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. And one of the most recent studies that we were reading uh, a few months ago, uh, it was a, a study of valedictorians in high school and the struggles that they were having finding jobs. Now, you'd think that somebody had that was a valedictorian, straight A's through high school and college, they should just be able to walk into any job they want, right? Well, the mm-hmm. reality is that 85% of Fortune 500 companies, the grades are not anywhere near as important as that person's interpersonal skills, what they did besides study, what kind of groups and organizations were they involved in, what kind of activities were they involved in while they were in college, uh, did they volunteer at other organizations, and what are their communication skills like. Those are the, the soft skills that are really the ones that are in many cases and in probably a vast majority of cases, the determining factor between you getting the job or someone else getting the job. And those valedictorians are really struggling and they can't understand why, but they never were involved in anything else but studying. It becomes very self-centered and self-focused and that's one of the biggest problems they have. Now I have to play devil's advocate, Tom. Darn it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're in for it. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready? I got my seatbelt on. (laughs) So I guess the argument that I hear from higher ed would be that's why we encourage them to take that recommended 12 hours because in that 12 hours you have classroom time but that also frees you up for, as you're saying, the intangibles that the Fortune 500s clamor for. So where do you draw the line between getting out in three and a half to four years and balancing that social life that you need to grow your interpersonal skills? Well, I'll tell you what we tell the students in college is that Bs are better than As. And the reason for that is that, yes, your grade point matters a whole lot. However, you've got to concentrate on a different GPA other than grade point average, and we call it the relationship GPA. The G stands for good friends, people that will stand by you. The P stands for professors and professionals that you connect with as mentors, and the A is connecting with your peers who are action takers, people that have ideas. Now, when you put intentionality into the kind of relationships that you build. Yes, it may impact some of your grade point average, but no, I don't recommend taking only 12 hours. One of each semester, what the kids are finding when they really put some focus to this is that there is time for both. Um, To take the 15 credits or even take a course during the summer and establish these relationships. They have way more time than they will have when they're in a full-time job, and they need to think of college as a full-time job, so like a uh, 40-hour work week. And if they can think of it in those terms and as as someone uh, working 40 hours a week, there is still time to have relationships and to build relationships, and that's the way they need to think about it. That's a, that's a really good point. 
and um, we only got to the second lie. <laughs> so I did. I did. I did. That was going to happen. I'm trying to put myself in the position of. of I mean, I've been having this conversation for three years, and and God bless them. I've I've been with with my little for ten years now. So you know, in the Big Brother Big Sister program. So yeah, it, it, yeah. We we like we. I just had this conversation all the time, so I was really looking forward to talking to you guys. So let's go to number three. What's the third lie about college? <laughs> well, the third lie is that the goal is to get a degree, and you know. I have never had a student say, I can't wait to spend all this money and spend all this time to have a piece of paper with my name on it that I can frame and put on the wall. You know, we (laughs) have to get the kids to keep the big picture in mind. They want to have a great life and a great career, whether it's through entrepreneurship or through working with a corporation. And Sometimes kids get sidetracked into, you know what, this is fun, I like this. Um, A lot of your courses, a lot of your degrees that end in the word studies, I would say fall into this category where it's fun, I like this, and I always want to say to them, have you looked into whether or not this is going to lead to a degree? Or will it lead to your being required to get a graduate degree and then go back to college to teach that same program. Students need to be aware they don't have to necessarily uh, only focus on courses that they know absolutely are a perfect fit for a future career they want to get into. But they do need to understand that there are some practical realities out there in the workforce where you do need to have certain skills and abilities and the kind of degree you get uh, is going to have some kind of an impact on uh, what kind of opportunities you have in the future. So while you can't make all of your choices about the coursework you're going to study in college based on, well, gee, I know this will pay me more than that degree, so I'll do this one instead, you do have to be at least aware that what you're going to be studying uh, is you need to know whether there's a a job waiting for you with that. Now, having said that, I'm going to give you the counteraction of that. (laughs) I'm going to contradict (laughs) what I just said with with the following. Uh, When we were were writing our book, College Secrets of Highly Successful People, Keys to Launching a Great Life, we uh, profile about 90 highly successful people, uh, CEOs, entertainers, entrepreneurs, and we focused in on what they did in college that led to their eventual success. And one of the surprising things that we found is that in a large percentage of cases, their field of study in college had absolutely nothing to do with what they ended up doing (laughs) after college. (laughs) The, The key component was they were intentional about their relationships and getting to know people. And I'm, I'll use Zach Winkler as a perfect example of this. Uh, Zach was a, a techie guy, and his thrill in life was to make gaming apps. One of his little apps was at the beginning of the, the Apple era. Uh, he would create an app that you could shake your phone and it would roll dice. Okay, okay. pretty cool. 
not yeah. really practical. Uh, there was a a journalism contest, and the journalism department contacted the techies and said, hey, we need you to come to this meeting and meet up with some of our journalism students. They're wanting to enter a contest that will uh, help journalists do their job better, and we need some techies to help create that app. Well, he wasn't really going to go, but he went, you know, journalism isn't really exciting, but I'm curious as to what they may do. So he decided to go anyway. Uh, when he got there, he met some people that he thought were pretty interesting, and he decided that he actually would work with the journalism student and develop an app for them. They submitted that to the national competition and actually won that competition. And it changed the whole focus of his, of his uh, life because instead of making casual little fun game apps, he went, wow, I can actually make apps that have some practical application. This is pretty cool. Well, he also knew some nursing students who were coming back at 2 or 3 in the morning, and they were concerned about their safety. So he decided to create a safety app that they could use to make sure that uh, they got home safely. And that company he actually created while he was still in college with a journalism student. Uh, six years out of college, that company was generating $65 million a year and is growing exponentially. That is awesome. That is awesome. One of our first podcasts was uh, there's no accidents, right? There's no, there's no coincidences. When you look back at it, it, it seemed like it at the time. And you kind of alluded to it earlier when you were, when I think it was Lindy talking about Steven Spielberg. And I didn't get to meet him, but I, I did do an internship at Universal Studios in Orlando. It was awesome. And Fantastic. I, I want to ask you guys, how important is the internship? And how were you able to quantify with the people you looked at that they started at one internship and it led them like a Zach Winkler into something totally different once they saw a real-world example? Well, I, I know um, uh, Tom mentioned one gal that we uh, – one of the gals that we profile in the book, Julie Carrier, and she uh, was actually one of these people that absolutely loved animals. Everyone knew she would be a veterinarian. So she went that route and found she, she, it was unsettling to her. She really was not enjoying her classes. But on the other hand, well, actually, and I'm, I'm on a different track, she was doing volunteer work in a leadership program with kids. Now other people have done internships and things like this. In this case, it was unpaid, so it was like, more like an unpaid internship. And um, she loved working with young people and teaching them leadership skills. And so she went back to the college and said, you know, here I am. I am in my senior year. I am just a few credits away from graduating to go into veterinarian school, and I hate it. But what I loved was doing this other work over here. And we've seen that with a lot of students is that internships can do one of two things. They either show you, wow, this is what I want to do, or, oh, my gosh, this really isn't what I want to do. And I, so I think internships are vital for that reason. 
But the other reason they're vital is that when you're looking to be hired, the businesses are looking at that too. What kind of internships have you done, and how well do you get along with people? Are there recommendations from the supervisors in these internships? That is gold for you when you are walking into your career. And also, the other key component of that is both volunteering at nonprofits, for example, and internships. Uh, employers, when you're looking at college graduates, they don't have any work experience, and yet they say, well, we want somebody with three years work experience. Well, you go, okay, I've been going to college. I don't have any work experience, mm-hmm. so how am I supposed to get hired? Well, a lot of employers, and I would say a, a pretty substantial majority of employers, will look at those internships and volunteer things, and they actually count those as job experience mm-hmm. if they're in that same vein of what they're looking for in an employee. So those really become uh, part of your job history. I'll give you a perfect example of that. Um, uh, one of our students, Jeremy, uh, went to a four-year university, and in his orientation, uh, the business department said, hey, we're looking for people to work in the business office. Are you interested? And he was going to be majoring in business anyway. He said, sure, absolutely. So he spent four years working at the school in the business office. It was a perfect opportunity for him. He got to meet everybody on campus because they all came in and got their paychecks every day. And when he graduated, he had four years of experience, and he'd actually been promoted to office manager in that four-year time. So he was able to walk into a job. Before he even graduated, he had a job offering from Vanguard. I love it. I, I, that's the second time you guys did that. So I, for the audience, uh, you highlighted work. you're creating your own way, right? It's not always a color by number where you may be disheartened because you, at the time you thought it was a dream job. I didn't get into USC film school at Steven Spielberg and then this example you just used, but they were able to leverage what they currently had or what was right in front of them to make an opportunity for themselves. And let me, let me add this, and this is really a pivotal component that makes all of those things work. And that is that as a college student, you need to be always keeping your eyes open to recognize opportunities when you have them. Absolutely. You mm-hmm. may not recognize it at the time, and then you miss that, and you'll never get it again. But if you are constantly looking for opportunities to take advantage of, just like Zach Winkler he said, well, I don't really have any interest in journalism, but I'm going to go there anyway just to see what it's like. If he had not taken that opportunity, he wouldn't have a $65 million a year business at age 27. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we, we talked about three of the six, and I kind of did it from a marketing standpoint because it leaves the listener one. I want to hear three more to get more information from you guys, <laughs> right? Which is kind of clickbaity, but <laughs> we understand that. <laughs> a little cliffhanger. Part two in three months. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, the reason why I, I want to do it because, you know, Tom and Lindy, it's been a pleasure, but you have definitely set me up for the perfect segue of what you just said, Tom. And when we say, oh, think of opportunities, it could be right in front of us. It could be a degree off, but it seems like it's in the positive, right? And so I'd like for Lindy right now to talk a little bit about the two words that could bring you fame and fortune, because on the surface, and even to her colleagues, 
they didn't see it as an opportunity, but she used two words that pivoted her to the stratosphere that you definitely have to share. Absolutely. Well, I was working at a, a particular college. I was brought in to be the director of um, their at-risk students and uh, loved the job. Uh, but things were going wrong behind the scenes. They were having difficulty with whatever it was. And the administration, the higher-ups, said, okay, we need to lap off this new program. Not only that, they were cutting about 35% of the staff. Um, so I had been at this job for two months, and it was right before Christmas. And I walk in, and there are people being let go all around the office. And I could hear crying. I could hear doors slamming. No one knew who was going to be next. Um, but it was all they were taking us in one at a time to the main office. And I thought, oh, boy, I'll bet this new department is going to go. And uh, sure enough, I got the tap on the shoulder, and I went into my manager's office and he said, you know, he told me we're having to let you go. And my mind was just whirling. But then I looked at my manager and the vice president of the college, and they looked awful. They looked weary, dejected, discouraged. And I thought, you know, this must be horrible for them. And I said, you know, before I go, I just want to say thank you. I said, I have loved this job, and I know you went out on a limb to hire me, and I have loved it. And I, they, I remember my manager looking at me just bewildered, and he said, you know, of all the things I expected to hear today, I expected to hear the swearing, I expected to hear the tears, I never expected to hear thank you. Well, I went home trying to figure out, okay, here we go, back to the drawing board. And um, in the meantime, my manager, unbeknownst to me, took my resume and forwarded on to another university and said, you have got to hire this person. So I get home that evening. My husband and I, took the, he took the day off to walk with me and talk about future plans. And uh, I get home plug my phone back in, and there's a voicemail. You have a job Monday if you want it. We need to talk. And, uh, and they said anyone that could be that grateful leaving a job would be amazing coming into one. So they even cited that, thank you. Well, it goes on, it gets better. So, yes, I had another position before the weekend was out, I knew I was going in just a formality to meet the, uh, the people at the new university and uh, sign paperwork. But uh, I, I wrote up this story because people marveled about it, really, just by saying thank you in a tough situation. I wrote it up, submitted it to Chicken Soup for the Soul. It's a New York Times bestselling series of books. And uh, they bought it. They ran it. Deborah Norville of Inside Edition calls me a month after that book is published and says, I want to interview you on the air about how saying thank you, you went from fired to hired 
just by those two words. And it's been interesting because even having had that credential of being on Inside Edition has opened up doors to more TV and more radio. Two words changed everything. Absolutely. And it seems like even outside of school, you still had that high good friends, professionals, and professors, and action takers. You still have that high GPA. <laughs> exactly. And, and those, are, those are permanent life skills. If you learn those skills, they are going to be beneficial for you for the rest of your life. Just practicing gratitude mm-hmm. instead of complaining. Everybody's going to have difficult situations in their lives. Everybody's going to have things go, oh, my gosh, I sure didn't expect my life to go that direction. But the reality is if you will just approach everything as being, you know what, I'm going to make the best of this situation, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be thankful for the time I had in the previous situation and look forward to what positive things are going to come out of this in the future. And that mindset changes you physiologically, and it makes you – far more happy as a human being and people like to be around happy people so you end up generating more friends you have an easier time getting a replacement job if it was a job situation it impacts all aspects of your life and this is one of the the key components and this is really core to what we do as what we are called America's College Advisors our goal is to help college students through that whole process of college they're left at the door by the parents and and the college says we'll take it from here but the colleges don't provide them any real life guidance on how to navigate these next four to six years of their life and beyond and they're just kind of floundering and that's why 60 percent of college freshmen experience severe overwhelm in their first year they're they're traumatized by all of the responsibilities and the new things that they have to uh take care of now that the parents used to do for them. And so we developed a whole training program that we call College Superhero Secrets. And we teach kids how to leap tall buildings, connect with the the administrators and and grad students and alumni of the college, uh, walk through walls, get off campus, meet with the business leaders of the community, volunteer, get to know all of those people outside that can give you a potential uh, recommendation letter or even a job offering. And if you do those things with intentionality, you're connecting with people, you're going to become fireproof. And that means you're never going to be without a good friend and a good job. And that's what our program teaches you, these kind of foundational life skills so that you not only have a successful college experience, but you have successful relationships and a successful life moving forward. And that. I want to give just one other example. It was it, it was in Texas, in the country of Texas, <laughs> for this one. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do want to I want to get your take on uh, this. Now this was another hot area. So this was Arizona, and so we were at at uh, Arizona State, and they were telling us we did research labs, so we didn't you know they tell us about other projects that are coming up, and at the time. They, the developers were building a lot of uh, on-campus housing because they found that if the student, the freshman, like you're saying, 60% is overwhelmed, if they lived off-campus, the retention rate was that much lower because they're kind of left to the to the wolves, and they found that they were the higher uh, uh, chances for them to graduate if they at least got a stronger foundation that first 
year, that first year is pretty much the hardest when you're saying you've gone through so much transformation from high school. And I wanted to get your take on on-campus life versus off-campus life, especially starting out that freshman year. Oh, yeah. The freshman year, when you come in, one of the best things that happens is that every student coming in there is intent upon making new friends because they've left all their high school friends at home. So if they are living on campus, they become saturated in the activities, the association um, introductions and the clubs and the parties, whereas if they live off campus, they're kind of tiptoeing into the social life. They're a little bit hesitant. And um, if you miss that first two, three weeks, it's very hard now to connect because people scramble to make connections those first few weeks. And then after that, it settles down and they have their cliques, their friends, their, the people they feel comfortable with. And yes, they can still welcome new people in, but it's a lot harder from home. And uh, as far as retention, retaining students so that they get their degree, it's those connections that make the difference. You, you hear us talking about relationships and connections a lot, but um, that is such a huge part of the college experience, a successful college experience, that if you don't take the, the time and the intentionality to make those connections, it can hurt everything else you're trying to do. And we'll just leave you with this little anecdote. Uh, Bill Gates obviously did not complete college. Uh, he, he's done fairly well for himself, I think, as <laughs> the founder of Microsoft. Uh, yeah. But uh, one of the things that, that he, he said was his biggest regret is that he didn't participate in any of the social events while he was on campus. And no amount of money that he has, all of his billions, he can never buy back that opportunity. So it's yeah. such a critical component to get involved in, in the activities on campus, and, but do it with intentionality so that you are intentional about meeting people, creating friends, and the right kinds of friends, mm -hmm. the action takers, the people that can, can come alongside you and walk with you moving forward. I have one last thing, and I'll let you guys go. Um, I don't think they have this billboard anymore, but when you fly into uh, Omaha, we were flying in, and you know we're going to baggage claim, and we're going down the escalator, and it says that um, um, Warren Buffett and a colleague addressed the University of Nebraska. Guess who his colleague was? I don't know. <laughs> Bill Gates. <laughs> so know your local community you guys are talking about your local community you have to know it they didn't even put bill's name on the placard i was like oh my goodness <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> yeah, and and somebody else, somebody else was going to be there. Surprise guest. You may have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're standing right next to each other, like hands, you know, hugging each other, arms around each other, and, and they just said, you know, Warren Buffett. So yeah, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. That's awesome. <laughs> so to the listeners, to the of the audience, I. I I apologize. Some of it was intentional, 
but I wanted to get through at least some of the secrets so that you can want to know more information so that you can actually buy the book because then you're not, you don't have to wait until the next time we have one, even though I'm sure you're going to wait for that or wait to listen to them, but you can actually read the book right now. So I'd like for you to give your, you know, your websites, your social media, so people can uh, find out about College Secrets of Highly Successful People and other things that you have in the hopper. Sure. Um, our website is America's College Advisors, that's S-O-R-S, not S-E-R-S, americascollegeadvisors.com. Uh, the book, College Secrets of Highly Successful People, Keys to Launching a Great Life, is available on Amazon or at any other bookstore. Uh, if it's not on the shelf, you can order it. Just walk up to the counter. Um, and the, also, we, with our, our College Superhero Secrets training program, if you want more information about that, just email us. We'll be glad to send you some additional resources. We have lots of free resources on our website anyway uh, to help parents and college students navigate this crazy world of college. But uh, you can reach me at Tom or Lindy, L-I-N-D-Y, at americascollegeadvisors.com. That's Tom or Lindy. Uh, so Tom at americascollegeadvisors.com or lindy at americascollegeadvisors.com. And we also have a Facebook page that we're just starting to uh, create here at America's College Advisors, but we're glad to hear from you and glad to provide you with additional information, uh, answer a lot of your questions, and just kind of help you navigate through this process. And I, I would add this too, on americascollegeadvisors.com, you can also download the first three chapters of our book for free and learn about the uh, the billionaire dropouts and college dropouts and what they actually got out of college even though it wasn't a degree. Fantastic. And you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. Uh, Tom and Lindy, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I'd love to have you back to get the other three secrets. <laughs> well, we would love to come back. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Hansa. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.